Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host DK and together with me as always from now on, <laughs> my co-host Lou. How are you doing Lou? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing great. Doing great. Awesome. Today we have an awesome we go as <laughs> as uh, kind of like I like to do but for me lesson number one is going to be an obvious one I'm going to start with an obvious one here I'm going to say number one is the importance of recording correctly now we could say it's gain stage so you know mm -hmm. making sure it's not clipping we could say a lot of different things but I think that it's in general if it's recorded right in the mic placement the position how the singer is performing into the microphone, the microphone choice with the voice of the, music, the yep. singer, if it's a singer or whatever. If it's drums, then the microphone choice and distance and angle along with the tone of the drums and the style of rock, like the style that the drums will be played in. Like a lot of these choices can be made in the recording process and should be conscious in the recording process. And the better the recording is, the better the mixing will be. So during my years of recording, I think lesson number one is how things should be properly recorded because poorly recorded things are actually a lot harder to manipulate during the yeah. mixing fit process. So yeah. what, what do you think about that? So I've noticed uh, one of the most common issues that I've run into with, uh, with that whenever I receive things that have been recorded by other people. Um, and this is something that I learned early on recording because it's always really hard to kind of game stage yourself after things get so loud. You kind of have this weird sense of not wanting to turn things down even if it is as a whole, in order to get the rest of your recording done. But I've noticed where some people 
are recording against two track, which is pretty common. You know, you record against the two track that you got off of, uh, let's say, Sound Better. You worked with a producer or something, and they send it to you with a limiter on it. Fine, you know, you they want to make sure you can play it in your car. But when you load it into Pro Tools, Logic, Duendo, GarageBand, whatever it is you're using to track, you generally want to drop it down to a nice level to where you can start recording. A lot of people say minus 18, minus 16, minus 14. It's whatever honestly sounds good, but you got to get a healthy level with enough headroom so you're not clipping, but they don't do it. And what ends up happening is people start cranking up the gain. And, you know, you mentioned it. Gain staging is one of the many issues that's just proper recording. Um, Which but, gain staging is a whole nother topic and episode on its exactly. own. Exactly. But can you can you really quickly define for all the people listening that are just kind of starting right now, what is headroom? Headroom is the amount of space that you actually have before you start to clip. So in the digital realm, you're looking at DBFS, which is uh, decibels full scale. It's that digital meter you see in your DAW. Um, now, realistically, your headroom is just how many decibels do you have left until you hit red. Yeah. You know, in a and, nutshell. And in DBFS, it's zero. So if you hit zero, like if you're cranking the gain or the, the volume of the microphone on your interface and the signal ever hits zero, it's going to distort that signal. And in the digital world, it doesn't sound good at all. Yeah, see, the difference between dBVU and dBFS is about 18 decibels. Now, here's the crazy part. Uh, analog gear is operating at minus 18 dBFS, generally speaking, if you want to put a level on it, because depending on the piece of gear, it varies. But after you hit dB, uh, dBVU zero, on some gear, you start noticing that they actually start imparting some harmonic distortion. That may be good, they may be bad, depending on the piece. Like a Neve can get pretty aggressive on its input. An interface, like a, let's say a Steinberg and Apollo, can sound pretty consistent all the way through, generally speaking, but the distortion on an interface preamp versus like, let's say, uh, we were talking about some of the SPL stuff, like we're recording through a crescendo right now. Um, if we were to start going past zero, uh, zero dBVU, it's actually still pretty consistent, but a, a Neve can be very aggressive. So depending on the piece, you may be overdriving. You may be creating distortions, and you have to be aware of that. So you may not be clipping in Pro Tools, but you know, proper recording goes back into that. You know, uh, How much headroom does that particular piece of gear have? Um, how far can you push it before distortion? Is your vocalist a belter, or are they consistent in volume? Uh, are you using do, a compressor you ever, or like, not? Ride the preamp gain while they're performing. Sometimes I I did that once, but um, that's where I started saying, you know what, I'm gonna find my personal level that I have enough headroom with because you may write it wrong at a moment, and now that's a permanent change that you did, yeah. and you may have to now automate that change. So I've done I, it I before. Do, I, I do it sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes when I only do it just a dB or two, like I don't mm -hmm. like crank it when they're quiet or like bring it down a lot. Like it's just a tiny touch. Mm -hmm. But I usually use it with my Apollo, so I see the actual uh, UAD. Like, I actually see, gotcha. like, 47 dBs or whatever. Almost like automation DBs on the way in. Yeah, yeah, so that way it's like when they're getting whispery and cried, I turn it back up and then turn it back down to the original level when they're back to normal. Nice. And by then, if I'm doing that, then that means I've already listened to a take, so I know exactly how they're going to do it as well. But yeah, I've done that before, too. Nice. I've seen where some people uh, will automate the, the record track uh, while they're really? actually in the record pass. That way, if they like the take... They just copy it down with uh, with automation copies uh, along uh -huh. with the WAV file. So wherever they drag it, the automation follows. Oh, but that's smart. It only really works if you know the artist and know their song and mm -hmm. know their habits. So 
if you're doing this on the free will, kind of like, Especially hey, on the first take. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Like, it's on you. Take. If it doesn't come out all that great, just make sure you don't mirror the automation. Yeah. But uh, give it a try. Who knows? Yeah. But the big point is if you do get, like, what you said, like, let's say from BeatStars, a two track with the limiter on it, turn that bitch down. Yeah. I usually turn, turn it, it down. down by about, like, 10 decibels to start. Yeah. To start. To yeah. Start. Like, really, though, turn that down. And instead of trying to match your vocals to the beat, Turn it down, like yep. because your vocals. By the time you get to the point where it's loud enough that you can hear it, it's gonna be distorting, because mm-hmm. it's limited. So turn the beat down, like literally turn it down like ten dBs or more, or whatever comfortable level, and then turn up your vocals. So another lesson that I learned from recording, I would say, is this idea, especially because everybody's wearing headphones and they're getting you know similar mixes, if not the same mixes from the same cues, which we can go on and on about what cues are and how they work, but. Um, if they're it's getting just a, a headphone mix, yeah. If they're if they're getting headphone mixes, and I learned that if you keep adding tracks, instead of turning things up, you turn everything down mm-hmm. to save headroom. So that's lesson number two for me, which is don't turn anything up, turn everything else down first. Yep. Yeah, it's funny if uh, if you go to school or if you look at some YouTube videos, you'll surely find that hey. Duplicating a track and panning one left and one right doesn't exactly make it stereo and things of that nature. But what you're actually doing is just making it louder because you're just uh, putting two identical signals with identical frequency responses and you get an extra three decibels. Now, we may not always be doing this kind of thing when we're tracking, right? We're, we're tracking doubles, we're tracking this and that. But because they're so close in the spectrum sometimes, your mix overall starts to get louder and louder the more tracks there are. You may start at minus 16 recording level, but by the time you're at the mix bus, it may be at minus 8. You might have increased 10 decibels. So instead of trying to get that one track and pushing it up, you're all you're doing is making the overall thing louder, and that's not really the goal. Um, turning it down, understanding where the balance and backing vocals and things like that are, because I've seen where some people say, Oh, we tracked all the backing vocals, but now the lead sounds like it's sunken in. It's like, well, turn the backing down. Don't turn the lead up. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that uh, a lot of us can learn from turning everything down because I also get a lot of mixes from beginners where they all they did because the vocals weren't loud enough, they doubled it and nothing else changed. Like It's one thing to double it and then put like pitch it down like a few cents and like change the timing off just a few samples so it's like slight difference so you can hear that difference Mm -hmm. but like they just double it because to make it louder yeah and i'm like oh you know that's kind of stinks so yeah i would say that's something that you got to be careful with when you're recording turn everything down so like for example to put it into a practical sense when a vocalist says I can't hear myself, turn me up. What I do is turn down the volume of the the background, the the track or the song, and then I turn up their headphones overall. So I actually don't t- turn up their vocals. I turn down the, the volume of the song mm-hmm. and turn up her headphones. Nice. Do you ever get to a point where, and this is another thing I've learned across the, the way, but do you ever just try to keep their headphone volume consistently lower? Like a consistent volume, not turning them down, but yeah. there's there's also the issue of headphone bleed. Like some artists like to have one cup off because they want to hear themselves, but sometimes you put it too loud and they perform softer when they need to be consistent, or it's too quiet, they perform a lot more aggressively. Um, there's this funny balance that we learn as we go. Like, what's your thoughts on that? So, so actually, we were talking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. I think number three is going to have to be the performance is key. So number one, we got the mic position and we got the mic choice correct. 
Number two, the volumes and levels are correct. Number three is my uh, is performance. So how do you get a good performance out of a vocalist? So I'm going to tell you, as a singer myself, and having recorded a lot of singers, if the headphones are really loud with my vocals and they're not compressed on the way in, then when I start to get louder during the louder parts, then I start to back away naturally away from the microphone because I'm not trying to overload the microphone. Like That's a natural human performance instinct of mine where the louder I get, I'm not trying to get louder. But if if it's compressed on the way in, then I'll do that less because as I get louder, my voice will stay a similar level. Yep. So then that way I can push and I scream and I don't feel like I'm overloading the mic where if it's not compressed on the way in, then I'll like I'll back up and be a little bit more hesitant to like yell, to scream, to get loud during those loud parts. Uh, another thing is if you leave their vocals in really quiet in the headphones and if they're like flat, let's say they're singing flat and you just need them, oh, like they're so close to singing right on key, then... Um, one thing you could do is you can lower their headphones down so they can barely hear themselves and then they push a little bit harder so their voice is quiet in their headphones so they push a little bit louder and the more air that they push, the sharper they get yep. and then they actually sing on key. So if they are, if they usually yell on stage and they're a very energetic performer on stage, you want to have that performance in the studio as well. We always want more monitor, right? Exactly. And, and usually on a live setting... There's yeah. never enough monitor, ever. <laughs> There's not enough monitor in yep. the world for any singer ever in a live setting. So because of that, they overcompensate by yelling, by feeling energy. Yeah. So why would you give them too much monitor or too much of their vocal in the studio if you exactly. want that same performance, yep. right? Now, one thing that I do like to do is um, people always want louder headphones. But the reality is sometimes maybe the the what you're plugging into yourself, the, the headphone, whatever it may be, uh, maybe not be the right type for your for your needs. For instance, drummers, have you ever seen them tape the headphones against their ears because one they're they're bashing away. So that thing is getting sweaty, it's moving around, it may fall off in the take, the cables moving around making noise. But some singers I've actually recommended to use in-ears. Um some performers are just used to using in-ears. Period even in the because studio. even even in the studio but like on stage and they're able to hear their feed, they'll still take one off, but if you consider the bleed difference between how loud you need an ear in ear to get versus an actual cup to get, you'll notice that they actually have a lot less volume going through the in ear because they're not trying to be too loud and they're the only ones that really hear it. Now, if they ever take one off, it's also not going to bleed as much as taking one cup off of a can, you know, a you know standard headphone over ear. But I've noticed that to cause much less uh, bleed better performance in key because uh, along with being plugged into themselves, it kind of creates that muffle tone that we do whenever we plug our ear to try to hear ear, uh, try to hear key. Mm -hmm. It kind of doubles as that at the same time. Sometimes it's mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. Everybody has different results, but I've noticed that many vocalists like it, but drummers, especially I used to actually have a pair of uh, shirt SE two fifteens, the, the base model of uh, the in-ears with the replaceable, uh, plugs just so that drummers can use it when they were in the studio because I always got the click track in the microphone mm. and that's where I talk about like headphone bleed performance due to volume mismatch or um, some people are unaware of different recording techniques you know like for instance left right or at least that's uh, that's how I know it with Keisha but it turns out many many artists that I've worked with and many other artists that some engineers that I know work with They'll actually plug, I believe it's uh, the lead vocal, the record track, to the right. And everything that they're doubling or harmonizing against to the left. And it's hard panned all the way, just so that they can hear the isolation and it helps them keep in key. 
keep in performance, keep everything consistent. But the in-ear would really help out with that if it if it became like, hey, you, if you really need one off, let's plug an in-ear. Yeah. Like, let's really isolate it and keep that volume low so we're not bleeding from the headphones. Yeah. So for number one, just to kind of recap, number one is mic positioning and mic usage. Number two is gain staging, volumes and levels. Mm-hmm. Three is performance. Number four, I'm going to have to say, is organization. Yes. Because in a track, especially in mixing, this is relevant to both, right? Because yeah. in mixing, you want to organize so you know where everything is. You scroll down. Let's say you have 150 tracks, right? And you scroll down because the colors, the sizes, and the busing, you know exactly what's happening. In a recording scenario, I'm going to tell you, like, the first week I was in L.A., Lou hooked me up, and I started tracking two days straight from, like, 8 p.m. to, like, 4 or 5 in the morning for Interscope for two days straight back-to-back. And if I, in my own home studio, like, I didn't have a template for recording. I would just record, and I'd start everything from scratch and take the time. But if I did that here on, like, for Interscope, wouldn't have worked. So, like, being organized, coloring your tracks – making them all the same so you track quickly, right? Yep. So in order to track quickly, you have to be organized, and organization goes in for both recording but as well as mixing. Yeah, like for instance, I think I've told you before about my template with Keisha. Um, It actually starts off at about 64 channels of audio just to dump the track on, uh, the record track being my 65th channel. That's because we like to like really stack pretty heavily. We love to do different types of panning. If she wants to do counter melodies and things like that, I have all those tracks labeled, colored, ready, routed. Um, effect sends are already matched up. If it's like, oh, all the backing vocals need to have a consistent amount of reverb, um, I have uh, the reverb sends linked into their own groups and things like that. So if I raise it on one, it'll match it to the verse vocals, the chorus vocals, the the bridge vocals, the intro, the outro vocals, whatever it may be. Everything's pretty much ready. So as soon as I load up the template, I can just record arm, get to go. You know? Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Speed and efficiency, as I said a few episodes ago, is a huge deal breaker and or a really great compliment on, you know, if you're if you're engineering, then you are the vibe keeper of the session. How can you keep the vibe if you can't play it back fast enough, if you're not exactly. recording fast enough? You, yeah. you have to wait 30 seconds between every take because you got to figure out how everything's working and routed. Like oh, trust done. me. Some people will just have you not come back as an engineer. If, if you can't work fast enough and you can't keep them in their creative state, honestly, I don't know if you want to put that as fifth, creative state. You know, maintenance of the, the vibe of the session. Yeah, so number yeah. five, that's a good one, which is yeah. like, so yeah, go on about creative state. Tell, tell um, me about So, you know, I, I've told you before, I've actually gotten to work with a lot of people uh, in my career. You know, I've been doing this about 10, going on 11 years. Um, and every bit of it I've enjoyed, but there's also been a lot of uh, hard pressed situations where I've been chewed out by the artist, the producer, things like that. And honestly, I think some of the the easiest lessons were learned a little bit more immediately with the uh, with those kind of situations. Where um, if you can't keep them in their creative state, whether it's a happy one, a moody one, if the colored lighting is affecting them in a way that just can't, they can't stay in their vibe. Do whatever you can to maintain that. You may be the engineer, you may be the producer, you may be the artist yourself. If you've got somebody in the room who's killing your vibe or just taking you out of that creative state, whatever it may be, if they're too much of a distraction, just ask them to leave or have somebody else ask them to leave. You know, if you have um, somebody blowing up your phone and saying, hey, I'm trying to get in contact with you, turn off your phone, tell them to not call you for the rest of the day, whatever you got to do. But sometimes as the engineer, we have to be the ones to do that. Yeah. You know? 
And also, I would say, as far as like vibe goes, staying within the same category but in a different direction, you often hear me on the podcast say, mix engineer's job is not to change the vibe of a mix. Mm-hmm. It's to you know make the original vibe a little bit better. But if you're in the recording process, mm-hmm. especially if you're in there with the producer or you are the producer, then you are creating the vibe. Yep. Um, when I was with Interscope, with the A&R of Interscope, and they were trying to, you know, working on this artist that they want to blow up, um, hopefully, you know, shout out to them, and hopefully they get me a Grammy or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take <laughs> but, one too if they're giving them. Yeah, but for real. Um, but anyway, if with him, he said, I, the last engineer that we worked with wasn't creative. I need a creative engineer this time. Someone that tells them, okay, we need a better take. Let's get a better enunci- pronunciation, mm-hmm. better diction on these words. Like, um, So they wanted me to also be the vibe and help create the vibe in that moment. Mm-hmm. And what is the vibe? Well, if I'm with the producer or I am the producer, I'm creating that vibe. Now, yeah. in the mixing setting, you're not really creating the vibe. So if you are skipping recording and you just go straight to mixing, which I don't recommend, that, that we'll talk about number six, which will be that. But in this step... Like if you know how vibes are created in the studio, then you'll understand when you hear a rough mix, what kind of vibes are going on at the time. I'll, like because of my years recording, when I listen to a rough mix before I get started, I kind of understand what they were going for. Mm-hmm. What is the scenario, especially if I know the artist and I listen to their other portfolios, like what's going on. And as you, as you do that, you continue the vibe, you're going to have a better mix as well or a mix with happier clients. That's, that's at a higher level. You don't want to be mixing too differently from the rough mix. But at lower levels, yeah, you might be doing a lot of fixing. <laughs> yeah. Now, remember always that though we're there to maintain the actual workflow and keep it consistent. And yeah, sometimes it falls on our shoulders to make sure that the vibe is consistent. You also have to recognize your role in the session. We were just talking about this earlier where uh, we had brought up the the topic to an artist that I work with. And, you know, she mentioned that. If she ever works with an engineer, she wants the input. She wants them to be involved. She wants, just like you were requested, if I'm not voicing it right, if I'm not giving you the performance that we need for this record, let me know. But sometimes we are the fill-in engineer. We don't actually know the workflow. We don't know how they tend to do things, how they tend to communicate. And at that point, it's kind of your responsibility to understand and figure that out as you're going while not saying the wrong thing. And that could be the difficult part. If you're unsure of what to say or how to feel about something, a good idea is to actually talk to management before or talk to the producer before, maybe not directly the artist because the artist is the one that you're kind of more worried about. This is at higher levels. It's higher levels, but sometimes, you know, you're, you're a new artist and somebody else is helping you out. They're funding you. Or like a friend, even if it's just a friend. Exactly. And, uh, you may not understand how to communicate things, you know, with them, or you've maybe never worked with them. So you don't really know if they're sensitive to notes of a certain type, or if they're very accepting of notes of a certain type. Uh, Because of this, it's usually a good idea to try to figure out who is kind of supporting or backing them or who, if anybody's going to be there with them during that session and just kind of give them a call and say like, Hey, I just wanted to double check with you. Um, it's going to be my first time working with them. I'm totally confident in what's going to happen to the session. In fact, I wanted to go through a checklist and make sure I have everything you need. Along with that, is there anything that we should avoid topics on? Or is there uh, anything that I should prepare to make them more comfortable? A lot of times they'll just tell you, no, it's fine. They're very easy to work with. But once in a while they'll say, hey, you know what? Let's stay away from topics of this as they get very involved in that. And they talk too much when they do that, you know? 
at that point, cool. We know something to just stay away from. It's not a vibe thing, but it's something to keep them on track and keep them working. At which point we're maintaining a workflow vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And which leads to number six. And this is kind of the last thing that I want to finish off with. And we can go very deep in this. This is my one business thing that I learned, right? And that is, if you are trying to be a mix engineer, do not skip the recording process. As in, usually, I want to I be careful how I explain this. If you are going straight into mixing and don't have much experience recording, that may not be in your best interest. Because you learn a lot about how mixes go from the recording process. But more importantly, as you record, you will be expected to put together a rough mix. So if you aren't recording, you mm -hmm. don't have a place where you can submit rough mix to basically low-key audition to be on the record, yep. to be hired as a mix engineer. The only reason why we do a lot more mixing now, especially me, like, or I don't know about you, but for me, like, the only reason now, now is because I'm booked. I'm like 14 songs behind right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. booked. But, and the only reason is, is because I spent so many years recording that I actually got a foot in the door and did a lot of marketing where people got to hear what I sound like. Mm -hmm. because to be honest, when you hire out a studio, you just need an engineer that knows how to track. Yeah. When you hire a mix, mixing is a lot more personable. It's a mm -hmm. lot more like taste and flavor. You don't just hire a mix engineer. You got you to gotta go to your guy. Like you yep. don't just hire a barber. Yep. You know, once you get to higher levels of hair expectation, you, got, you have your barber. Yeah, you got to see a catalog first. I want to see the cuts you've done. Exactly. So keep recording and don't go straight to mixing. Um, mixing is very, very important. Recording, recording, recording will help you get more mixed jobs. Yeah. A big thing on that, because I completely agree with that. One thing that you may not understand, because uh, I remember when I first tried my hand at mixing people that I hadn't worked with. Like normally you start off recording and that person says, hey, do you know how to mix too? And you, you give it a shot. And if they like it, they like it. If they don't, hey, you can't win them all. Even now, like we get revision notes all the time. You know, oh, it's yeah. it's not a, it's not a, if they give you a revision note, it's nothing personal. It's literally just you might not have understood their vision on the first shot. That's yeah, fine. That's it. Even uh, Andrew Sheps has said he's gotten songs that have like five, six, seven revision notes. And dude, it's Andrew Sheps. Yeah. Dude's amazing. Um, but with that said, um, one of the benefits that you get from actually mixing uh, when you become like a recording engineer to mix engineer is that you get to understand why certain people want a certain sound. Like, for me, it was very confusing to understand why people wanted me to put so much reverb mm. or so much delay or so much flanger on their vocal. And I'm just like, it sounds so weird. But once you understand how they're actually using it and their approach, you may not get the sound right at first if you're a new recording engineer or if you're unfamiliar to that sound. You know, because we, we get that. People are experimenting. There's never been a groundbreaking clone of a song. You know, every record that's ever been groundbreaking has been unique. So trying something new and unique and odd shouldn't scare you. If anything, you should just embrace it and try to figure what that is out. But many times, the people who mix these records are also the recording engineers. Like if you look at many of these big name artists, my guy mixes it and my guy records it. Like uh, Talk about Patricio. Yeah. and Patricio is a really good example. Uh, Patricio Pigliopoco, he goes by Tizio. A uh, good friend of mine, um, he's Chris Brown's recording engineer, and I met him a few years ago when I was doing the SSL installation at his house. And, um, it, you know, it was kind of funny because, like, I didn't really know who he was. I knew he was recording with them. I figured, you know, this may be one of those label hires, like we mentioned, like where it's kind of new or not. But, you know, 
he's been kicking a lot of ass and he's been doing really oh, yeah. great things. But it turns out he's also his mixing engineer. So not only is he having to record it, but he's actually having to mix it. And like they, uh, what's the new record that just came out where him and Baines uh, co-mix oh. songs? They were bouncing songs back and forth. I have the graphic in my mind. I yeah, the called. split face thing. Yeah. Oops, sorry. But uh, you know, it's kind of funny because um, you're talking about. Somebody who has to be one-on-one with Chris Brown and understand what's in Chris Brown's mind to not just create these groundbreaking records that are getting platinum plaques all around, but you're talking about one of the biggest artists in the world, you know, but you can't really figure out his sound without knowing him. And unless you really know him, you can't really say what he thought or what he wants. I'm sure he gets revision notes just as anyone else. But I'm sure he has a much better foot going forward than most of us if we gave it our first try, you know. So if you want to get into mixing, try recording with the artist. If you can, be there during the recording. If they're trying to if they're trying to cold turkey hire you for mixing, ask if you can see like little snippets of the recording session or FaceTime them while they're in the studio and see what's going on, how they're vibing, like what do they like, you know. Um, but... Biggest thing, try to get to know the artist. If you get to know the artist, uh, not necessarily personally, but just a little more in depth than you may know them now, you tend to get better results in the mix right away. You get less revision notes. Absolutely, absolutely. So just to recap, number one is mic positioning and correctly correct choice of mics. Number two is gain staging or levels, making sure that it's not clipping to turn everything down before you turn things up. Uh, number three was organization mm-hmm. there you go it was organization of the files in the sessions um not necessarily use of templates but if that's what it takes for you to be you know faster to be organized then go ahead and do that um number five was vibes to be the vibe keeper in the studio and that would be also in as a mix engineer as if you're mixing a song your job is to keep the vibe right so reading and understanding vibes creating vibes um, and number six, which was the business one, which is to record a lot more in order to get mixing business. It is, I've actually never heard of a higher level mix engineer that never recorded, that never recorded. That's, yeah. that's not a thing. Everybody mm. starts with recording and I hate to say this and I'm going to regret saying this ever. I'm going to re- regret saying this. I really will. Um, but I'm going to say this out loud once to see how it feels. Mixing to a certain degree is a job for those that have graduated from recording low key a little bit like i'm not yeah. saying that recording is not is lower key but what i'm saying is you have to have recording under your belt before you can start mixing i would better voice it as a prerequisite there you go it's just there like you want to go to college you want to study a certain course where they're like listen i understand you want to learn how to scuba dive but can we at least learn a little bit of anatomy and a little bit of physics? Of and like, like yeah, how and water like swimming. works? Yeah. Because if you don't understand what we're telling you, if we start throwing these big terminologies at you, like we need to make sure that you really grasp what's happening because there could be some issues. If you're being thrown into a mixed situation, it's like, oh, why does it matter what mic they use or what preamp they use or this and that? Like, you know, those things impart a certain sound. Not everything comes exactly the same. So understanding the recording process or how they prefer to record can actually let you know what you need to uh, approach the mix with. Yeah, you know, so I like that word. It's a prerequisite. So I do think that recording is important. In fact, at NAM, no, it was at AES in New York in about October 2019. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, not Paige, not he's uh, he's the mix I engineer. Mean, Jimmy, the no. guy that mixes for Justin Timberlake. There's oh oh yeah yeah Jimmy um, Jimmy Douglas Jimmy Douglas. Yeah. There we go. Jimmy Douglas. I stopped Jimmy Douglas at. 
at AES and we talked um, and I told him we were talking about my situation and how I just recently switched to just mixing. And then he stopped me and he said, hey, like you should probably keep tracking. And then he said basically the same reasons that I kept saying. Yeah. That being said, I think part of the reason is that I look really young and look like I don't have any experience recording. Then he said, how long have you been recording it? And I said, this long. And then he was like, oh, then maybe, maybe not what I said, you know, but yeah. up until then, his like, his first thing was, hey, don't stop recording. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing. And I heard that from Jimmy Douglas himself. So like, love that guy, love his mixes. And just that ideology yeah. is, is absolutely amazing. Um, Vibe Keepers is a big one. Uh, and I could tell stories about that from what I've heard from other people as well. So on that <laughs> yeah. note, before we keep going, uh, I want to wish everybody happy mixing. If you'd like for us to give free feedback on your mixes, you can send us an MP3 or a link to your files at D-E-E-K-E-I mixes at gmail.com. One more time, that's Delta Echo Echo Kilo Echo Indigo mixes at gmail.com. Send Damn. us your files. Yeah. <laughs> send us your files and we'll be taking a look at them together from now on and send you an email about how, you know, he's give you some feedback, some real feedback. That is still going on. We're going to change the email up a little bit later, but as of right now, still that email. Um, so yeah, on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. <laughs> If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's links.dekeimixes.com. We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show.